Welcome to the Midlife Career Rebel, the podcast created for high-achieving professional women to gain the clarity, confidence, and courage they need to go after and get the life and career they want. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Parker-Walsh, lawyer, social scientist, brand strategist, executive coach, entrepreneur, and midlife career rebel. Each week, you'll learn strategies to manage your mind, navigate the challenges of midlife, and take control of your career so you can thrive doing the work you love. So if you're ready to tear up that rule book and create your own, you're in the right place. And I can't wait to show you how. Hey, Rebels, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Listen, do you ever wonder where your innate strengths or gifts come from? You know, that zone of genius that I often talk about. Well, today I am talking with Taylor V., She is an offer strategist and human design expert, and she uses her talents to help people to leverage their authenticity to create value for others, which is so powerful. And I can't wait for her to share more about that. And today we're going to talk about something that I've been recently introduced to that I was powerful and I loved it. And I thought I definitely want to bring this to you guys to learn a little bit more about, and that is human design. And specifically how it can be used to enable self-advocacy and be supportive in helping you navigate midlife and actually in helping you make really aligned career decisions for, you know, what it is that you want to do or that next phase of your career, if you're thinking about pivoting, transitioning, or advancing even to what you're doing so that you do that with true clarity and understanding so that you're making decisions and you're equipping yourself with tools that allow you to always make the best decisions for yourself and for your life. So, With that, I want to welcome you, Taylor, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. This is great. Yes, I'm so excited that you're here. And, and, you know, like I mentioned before, I was sitting in actually one of Taylor's workshops that she was doing around uh, human design. And I just, you know, got so much insight and so much information. I mean, she truly is a master at this work. And um, you know, but before we get into that, Taylor, I would love to hear your own story, your own transition from what where you were into becoming this offer strategist and human design expert. Yeah, so I one of my philosophies is that we're always kind of only ever doing one thing. Everyone only has really one offer, and then we spend our lifetime finding millions of ways to package that. And so, Really, for me, the evolution has been going throughout life and just kind of showing up and going all in on an experience and it being successful. That looked like, you know, representing the state of Georgia in a national pageant. It looked like being a flight attendant for Delta randomly. You know, I've done medical billing. I've had kind of these kind of hodgepodge um, resume, if you will, of experiences that have been insightful and been invigorating. And I saw pieces of myself and ways that I could monetize them. Um, in, in each one, I, I saw a way that I could, you know, be famous, if you will, or influential in each one of them. But for me, what, what ended up happening is in my mid-20s, I got married, and then we got pregnant very quickly thereafter. And so I had this little girl who we named Honor, um, and we're looking at her in her face, and she's gorgeous. And my husband's unhappy with his job. And I'm like, if I, if I don't do something, we're going we're gonna to live a normal life. And that of, of everything else was the thing that I just couldn't 
live with. I knew I didn't want a life that anyone else could have predicted or considered normal. And so we were the we were the textbook family. I mean, we, you know, great job, stay-at-home mom, cute little baby. But at the at the end of it, I was just profoundly disappointed with the idea that I had never pressed the envelope, that I had never tried anything that I should say tried anything for long enough to really see if it was going to become something. And so we actually ended up moving um, to the Dominican Republic and becoming missionaries because as you'll, as you, as your listeners will find out, I'm a manifester. It doesn't take much for me to just kind of hit a spark and try something. So we did that. And, and I thought this is going to be it. You know, I grew up in church serving was my thing. I was like, this is how we're going to be different. We're going to be the family who lives abroad. And we got there and we found out that everyone is normal and that they don't need us to save them. And that actually, you know, people are civilized everywhere. And that, you know, our little savior complex that we thought that we were just going to have this sense of fulfillment, we needed to bring that sense of fulfillment. We weren't going to find it in the challenges or obstacles of other people's lives. And so when we ultimately decided to come back home from that, because I was pregnant with baby number two now, um, I, I sat at home again. We were back to the same spot. This time I had two babies, but the the disappointment was the same. And um, it challenged me. It challenged me to look inward. It challenged me to say, you know, you've been wanting to write a book since you were 16. Why haven't you done that? You're sitting at home now. You know, you've been wanting to do this. Why haven't you done that? Why are you continuing to look for experiences or adventures instead of cultivating this little, you know, whisper of a desire inside of you? And so I started a blog and it was not a great idea, but I tried it. Um, and then I discovered life coaching. And by this time I had baby number three and, um, I was listening to someone articulate things that I believed deeply, um, and had developed those beliefs inside of church culture, but this time it was being presented outside of church culture. And so for me, that changed everything. Once I figured out that there were truths that I knew that I was grappling with, that I had a passion to share, that other people had a value for, that they were willing to pay money to, to hear someone kind of volley that level of thinking or that depth of understanding back and forth, and that they were excited to pay a lot of money to do that, it was on. I was like, oh, we just have to tell the truth. Oh, I, I got that in spades. I just never thought it was valuable. I just never thought that my understanding or my perspective was game changing for somebody else's trajectory. And so how did we get here? I dove headfirst like we do and or like I do um, into getting certified as a life coach. And, you know, I got in there and, and I saw a bunch of my colleagues were professional people who, who had done a career swap and they decided they wanted to help people. And the one thing that it, that was a common thread that made me different than them is it's like it never clicked for them that their voice mattered. They were so bent on holding this kind of neutral space for their clients that when it came time to teach a concept or to challenge the client or to stress, um, to, to, pre, to create some challenge for the client to really grow and change and transform, there was a discomfort. And I realized that that discomfort was a discomfort they had with themselves. It was, it was a, a discomfort. When you haven't done that internal work, when you haven't found yourself worth exploring, it's really hard to push other people to do that same self-exploration. And so 
because I had done that, because I was coming into this from a place of, look, I tried just having fun. I, I, I have something to say. It kind of just spiraled into brand strategy certifications. And now I'm an offer strategist because I, I really, I don't need you to frame your business. I need you to frame your value. I need you to frame your, I need you to package your authenticity in a way that changes the world because that's why you're here. Mm -hmm. So human design is a beautiful tool to, to catalyze that conversation. But the end result is like, do you know how to tell people what you do in a way that makes them want to fund whatever your mission is? And mm -hmm. if you don't, then that's the core problem. The core problem is that you haven't seen your value in a way that has changed you. And as a result, it's not changing other people. So mm. that's where we're at. I really, I love that. You know, and I think that is so true. I mean, you said so many important things, which was, you know, you talked about cultivating the whisper that was already, you know, inside of you, you know, you've been hearing something that's been saying, that's been telling you something internally and, um, you know, deciding to explore that. And also mm -hmm. really that, you know, um, finding the value in your natural skills, right? Yes. Knowing that the things that naturally came to you were actually valuable. And I think um, in, in, in antithesis of the external either validation or the external, you know, degrees and all the other kind of stuff that as a society, we say that's what's valuable, you know, put yeah. on, line all that up in front of me and therefore you're valuable as yeah. opposed to if I never got a degree, if I never went to school, if I never got, you know, my fifth master's. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, st I still have something to say. I still have something valuable to lay out and put forth. And I know with my clients, that is such a challenge mm -hmm. when I try to pull them away from, it's not your degrees that make you valuable. And even you talk about offers in terms of interviewing or offering what yes. you have to bring to the table. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's so much more that you bring that all that other stuff just kind of augments it. It's not, yes. it's not because of it. You didn't discover yeah. it in school. You kind of brought it with you into school. Yes. So I'm curious, how did you like through that journey? Was it in human design that that kind of clicked for you? Or was this something in that process that you were going through of that self-discovery where that came? Yeah. So I think I realized that I had something valuable or let's, let's not even say valuable. I had something differentiated when I started learning next to my colleagues. I, I didn't finish college. So I came into this with that kind of like baseline of, I don't have a way to quantify what I know for you. I'm sorry. Like, and, and that's always been kind of like the chip I've brought into learning experience. Like, I don't, ha I don't have a way to prove I'm smart. You're just gonna have to trust me for a minute. <laughs> um, and so I, I did, I, I got in there and I realized there was something different about me. Then I learned brand strategy and that, that, showed me differentiation, but what brand strategy or any, even coaching doesn't do is it doesn't, it doesn't have a way to capture your baseline. It, it shows you what is, what is valuable in the marketplace out there. It shows you how other people get done things outside of you, but I needed a tool that could explain why do I feel so different? I know I have different experiences. We're all different people, but like, how do I account for the fact that when I speak, heads turn. And I'm not trying to turn heads. I'm not even like there's a level of effortlessness in the way that my voice lands with people that I know I could teach some of that, but some of that's got to be energetic. 
-hmm. even to the point where it turns some people off. Like, why are they offended? I didn't even mean it like that. And so human design came around to at a time where it was kind of sweeping through the coaching network that I was in and everyone was like, it's changing everything. I'm finally getting my social media out. Content got easier. Coaching. Wow. I'm a different coach now that I know I'm this kind of a, a type. And so really it was my frustration with my lack of productivity. It was my, I, I finally believed I had something, but it wasn't actually getting out. It wasn't turning into revenue. And that's what drove me to kind of say, well, maybe, maybe I'm, Maybe this will explain something. And then I find out, oh, yeah, you 10% of the population. It makes sense. You feel a little different, you know, like right. It's, right. you know, it makes sense. And so that, that really has been the place that I've explored it from is like, it doesn't determine anything about me. It confirms my experience. I require mm. my study of human design to validate my story, not to prescribe an experience to me, not to determine anything, but I, I deserve to be validated. I deserve to be confirmed. I deserve to feel confident. And it's also my responsibility to create the experiences where that happens. And so human design is my exercise in that work. Uh, I love that. I love that, that it doesn't determine who you are. It just really explains or bring awareness to what's already there. Yes. Uh, that's language. That's mm -hmm. fabulous, right? You know, and yeah. that like even what you said earlier about, making your voice matter and how yes. so many people, you know, it's funny. I think sometimes the more educated and the more we seep into the external, you know, I, I talk about this a lot that, you know, women at midlife, we've like climbed that ladder mm -hmm. and we're so entrenched in it only to realize that somewhere nearing the top, we're peering over realizing I don't want to be there. Like, mm -hmm. is that where this is going? Like, I don't mm -hmm. think so. But the problem is we've spent so many years entrenched in that way of thinking and that way of knowing that I think over time, what does happen is you do lose your voice, that your voice doesn't matter, that you've either yes. code switched or you, you've you uh, maneuvered yourself in such a way to fit the status quo or to fit whatever you know ladder you were climbing on that you lose this sense that your voice matters, right? And that um, you do, you start looking for other people to tell you what's valuable and important as opposed to you really leaning in and finding that in yourself. So I think what you shared is just so, so powerful and mm -hmm. so amazing, you know, and I, I just love how you shared that. So tell us a little bit more about like, what is human design? Okay. So human design is a synthesis of Eastern and Western uh, philosophies or ideologies really it's a system or a science that is attempting to kind of summarize or give a blueprint or map of what it might be like to be you. Now, I have to say, like any like any system that's effective, there's a culture around it. So when people hear me, I use, I intentionally insert things like it might describe you, but some would say it's incredibly accurate. And, and that's the angle that they take. No, no, no offense there. But for me, I just, it's sovereignty is important to me. It's important to me that you take responsibility for your authenticity. And I really think you might like studying the science of human design to articulate that for you. So it, it does its best job to say, this is what it's like to be you. This is what it might be like when you interact with other people. This is not just the conversations that you have, but the energetic exchange. You know, we all walk into a room and, and we all call it like, oh, this has a vibe or or you're a vibe, like you're impactful, you're moving. Well, is that you? Is it 
is it me experiencing you? Does everyone experience you the same way? I think human design um, does a really great job of kind of categorizing how much you're bringing to that experience versus how much someone else might be bringing and why you might be feeling it in such a profound way. Um, and that that's really the point. The point is that you would study it and your unique design, everyone in human design has a individual differentiated design and you'd study yours and then you'd experiment with, okay, if this is how I'm made, if this is my natural state, when I'm not even trying, these are the gifts, strengths, talents, and abilities I have. And when I'm not even trying, this is likely how I'm, how I'm going to negatively take something. These are the, these are the areas where I'm just probably going to doubt myself just because I'm human, not even because I tried that hard. If that, if that's my set point or my starting point, I wonder what it would be like to make subtle adjustments in my life to optimize that experience, to create a more supportive experience, to, to find the environment or to self-advocate for myself in my career, in my career, in my day-to-day workplace. How could I self-advocate in a way that supports my design versus waiting for it to, to arrive on a supportive experience? So mm. that's kind of the work about it. It, it advocates for self-responsibility. Yeah. And it sounds like it puts you in control of your life. It puts you in the driver's seat of what makes sense for you and the decisions that you want to make that are best for you. You know, and and so I, I, it's, it's a, it's a complex field and and understanding. And so, you know, I know you are like synthesizing it down to like it's nuggets, but um, you know, I know part of it, like you talked about before being a manifester. So I would love to hear like, what are some of the, so if you were to go into human design or to get yeah. someone to actually help you with that like what can what will it yield like what is a manifester and a generating yeah, yeah. manifester which I am yes Super <laughs> you know, cool. not right? shocking yes yes <laughs> for me I mean it's probably gonna be shocking maybe for you but not for me okay so one of the things I like to do when you know someone may not be super familiar is just the idea that for human design, it, it takes everyone's map and then it, it kind of summarizes them into five categories, if you will. And the categories really don't speak to any one person's personality, but more so here's generally speaking how energy moves in this type of a map. This is how energy moves in that type of a map. And it, it's kind of overly uh, reduced them down to five. And so when I say I'm a manifester, what it's speaking to is this this being or this physical form's energy moves in this kind of a way. And generally speaking, people who hang out with her, interact with her in her presence, find her catalytic, impactful, initiating. They feel high energy. And and it's important for her to to communicate what what her intent is because she's what they call like a closed or you can't really see in all the time. And you know, you might like her one day and the next day you might get the sense that like something's different about her. And it's not that she's different. It's that her aura, her, the ambience around her is sometimes great. And sometimes it's repelling and and that's correct for her, her purpose, the way her energy is kind of set up is designed to get things started. And we just summarize that kind of narrative as a manifester, because we're here to manifest from the unseen to the scene. So there's, there's, uses for all of those details. But on an experiential level, if you were, let's say, working in corporate or in a professional career, you know, you might have a lot of intentions and be getting things done and find that people don't always aren't super receptive to your work, even though you may have a knowing that it would be helpful for them. It it, it almost like 
while they can acknowledge that it was useful, it comes with like, but you shouldn't have, or something should have been different about it. And they probably just don't know what to do with you. That's just the reality. Like they just don't, it's just like, how safe can any one person feel when they're in a room with somebody they don't know what to do with? They don't know what you'll do next. And so for manifestors, the every type or category has a strategy for manifestors. It's to inform, just give people a heads up, not because you need them to know to get anything done, but because it creates safety and reciprocity and they start informing you. And now we all feel empowered because we're all working with the same information. Um, and so that is a very, um, entry level way, like if you were to pull, if your, if your audience were to pull their chart, um, to, to apply that information, when you see your type, I'm a manifestor, there's four others to say, oh, okay, well, my strategy, if you were, let's say a generator or a manifesting generator is to inform or respond. And that's because the way the energy moves in that chart is super receptive. It takes a lot of things in people show up and they have instructions or they have things they need you to know and things they want to have happen. And so your strategy isn't to say yes to everything. It's to consult in, how does that feel for you? Is that something you want to engage in? Is that something that lights you up to contribute to? Because if not, the answer is no. And, and they're called a generator because they generate an energy. They generate a response to what comes at them. Mm. So um, that is the, when you say a manifesting generator, the only difference, the only differentiator is, is that a manifesting generator has some energy in the throat area. You probably have a consistent way that you articulate what you want to get done, that you probably speak with a level of authority that maybe a, what they would call pure generator or a generator without that manifesting caveat may not have a consistent way that they self-advocate or communicate their thinking and, and desires. But as a manifesting generator, you would have a very fixed, consistent access to, here's what I want to do. This is what lights me up. And all of a sudden it's done. Mm. And that's why there's a strategy like inform and respond. Like, yep, say yes, but please let people know you're about to blow them out the water. That would be great. <laughs> that would be helpful. You know, um, I love that. I can relate yeah. to that. I can yeah. relate to that definitely. I know when I, when you when we went through this together, I definitely felt a lot of ahas with uh, mm. things that you were sharing. Now, what about the other types? What are what are some of the other types called? Yeah, so there's projection. And I'm sorry to call types because I know that's not yeah. exactly. <laughs> they actually are. They actually are. They're called types. Okay. And the other one is a projector and a reflector. So reflectors essentially just have no definition. And, and definition is a word we use in human dis design to describe. They just don't have a fixed way that they show up. They represent less than 1% of the population. Their, their purpose, if you will, or their function might even be a better way to say that amongst the five is to reflect back what we all have accomplished as a group. And, and they tend to be the truth tellers. You know, every reflector, I know I have a son and I have a friend who has a daughter who's a reflector. All of them are kind of that like hard truth teller. They just tell you like it is and it just kind of comes in hot and it comes in faster than you would think. But it's almost like they've been simmering on it. It's like, have you been wanting to tell me it that way? <laughs> Quite so direct. Like, have you heard of tact? And the reality is, is like, they have heard of it. And they actually didn't need a lot of time necessarily. They've been sitting and sampling is what we would call their aura, but they've been sampling your energy for as long as you've been around. And this, your question just gave them an opportunity to reflect back their experience. 
And so that's a reflector. That's their function. And then the last one is projectors, and they represent about 20% of the population. I don't think I give a statistic for generators, but they're about 70%, and it's almost an even split between manifesting generators and generators. But projectors are about 20%. Most of the coaches uh, that that you see that are really solid coaches, not just have put up a shingle and, and can really make a business happen, but the ones who you know, really feel like – you ever see someone who you're like, that's just masterful coaching. They just have this ability to hold space. That's your projector. Your projector has what they call a very um, penetrating aura. They have the ability to kind of zone in on one person and really um, make them feel seen, make them feel heard. Their function is to guide, but really they're taking kind of the vision or the initiation of the manifester and they are looking at what the generators are, are creating and building. And they're kind of guiding above it. They're not worker bees. They're the people who are like, I don't think that's what we really want here. I don't think that's what we're really trying to create here. Yep, I know we have that definition of success, but I don't think it feels successful. So projectors before learning their type sometimes can be hard to work with, not because they mean any harm, but because they are penetrating. It's almost like they slice through with their opinion and their perspective. And their strategy is wait to be invited because the level and precision of their of their insight and their guidance can almost feel offensive. It can feel it can feel um undermining or condescending at times, not because of intent, but because most of us don't walk around thinking that somebody's watching us studying us, that invested in what we do on an intimate, just for our success kind of level. So when somebody gives you that depth of feedback, it can feel like, well, why are you saying it like that? Well, why are you thinking about it? Like, why would you, why would you think that that was my intent? We, our guards go up because we weren't planning to be so seen. So for projectors, it helps to just wait for the invitation, wait for someone to recognize your skill set, and then say to you, what do you think about what I'm doing? What do you What do you think about how I'm showing up or the, the results that I'm creating? And every projector I know is like everything in them just rises to the occasion and they start spewing. And it's it's so profound. It's so moving. It's so precise. But the receptiveness comes from it was my idea. It wasn't like thrust upon me. So mm-hmm. all of all of the types have that kind of dance that works in entrepreneurship and it shows up in your family and it shows up at your job. It shows up everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious if, if, um, you know, how would you looking at each of the five types? Yeah. What if, if, you know, someone who's like midlife and one of these different types and they're thinking about making a shift or a change, you know, and they're, they're just at that place where they're embarking on it. They're hearing that whisper that you talked about. Um, they're ready to kind of make a move, if you will. What would you say, and I know this is very general, you know, painting a very general picture, but what are some of the fears or challenges or, or, um, you know, things to look for that may trip them up or, or keep them from being able to, make that transition and maybe for others it wouldn't be that challenging but if they were if a projector was in that spot like what were some of the things they would need to think about if a manifesting 
um, person, the manifestor was in that spot, right? A reflector was in that spot. Like what are some of the fears or challenges or, you know, mm. kind of uh, mindset roadblocks that they would probably need to look out for if they're thinking about making a transition? Yeah. So for all of, for all of the five types, well, let me, let me say it this way within human design, there are part of what creates the chart is this astrological component. That's one of the philosophies or ideologies inside of it. And so because of that, there are things called Saturn returns or Uranus returns or Chiron returns, and they all have different representations, but they impact everyone. Everyone will have a moment where Saturn returns to the point where it was when you were born, which is how we developed your chart. But when those things happen, when you have a significant planetary return, it brings up the same questions or similar questions in everyone. So mm. when when we say things like midlife crisis, ironically in human design, I wanna say that's the Saturn return. And that Saturn return is the time of questioning. Saturn oh, represent yeah Saturn is the planet that's associated with just how can I say this you have a way that you are designed to function and when you operate outside of your authenticity and outside of your value Saturn is the energy or the planet and there's it goes deep in this but Saturn represents kind of the judge the one that kind of the consequence part of it so when you when we bring up like midlife crisis or midlife changes or just having this kind of awareness that there's more out there for me, or there's a whisper that I may have been ignoring. What, what that says to me is it's time to be honest with yourself. It's mm. time to tell yourself the wow. truth. These, these are not new things. Mm. And that is a fear that I think sometimes fear gets to stick around because we don't tell the truth. Like if we, like we get to say, this is brand new and I've never done this before. And I just can't believe. And what will people think? Well, that would work if, if that was true. But the truth is like, this is what you've always been doing. And we've all seen you do it on the side and you've <laughs> led us all to believe that you wanted to be some professional, but the rest of us always had a clue that at some point you were probably going to do something like this. And so if you, I think that would be my first thing is before we get into types, know that like, tell the truth about what's really going on. Even if you can't do that with your family and friends, like, can you find your coach? Can you do that within the Career Rebel Academy? Like, can you be in it and honest? Because if you can sit in the room with it, then we can talk about how we want to exercise that outside of this container, this safe space. Okay, um, that's just powerful. I need to pause for, I want you to continue, <laughs> but I mean, I, that needs to sink in because- mm -hmm. The couple of things that you said, I love what you said about that in a lot of ways, this, you know, when Saturn is coming back, it, it really is about um, checking your authenticity, like, mm -hmm. like what's the questioning that's coming up is because you've not been living in probably truth and authenticity to yourself. You've been following some other pre-described plans, some other idea of what you should be doing. And now it's like, hello, you know, you know, yes. you didn't want to do this and yes. it's not a shock. And like, I love what you said. Like, mm -hmm. don't lie. We all knew you. Were we all knew. You <laughs> we all knew you being... wanted to be an artist. We all knew you love to do. You were the only one who believed nobody was going to pay for it. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's Picasso. Meanwhile, there's Michelangelo, but you swear your art is the one piece of art no one will pay for. <laughs> right, yeah, right. we're we're good. 
I think yes. the rest of us could stomach yes. it. It might just be you. And that's I like love that. space for I love that. It. Like, and so I just, I love that. Like from what I'm, what, the way I'm translating it for me, is like, it's this call for authenticity. Yes. It's like this call to finally step into yeah. the truth of who you are and what you're meant to be and do in the yeah. world. And yeah. you're getting called on it. And now it's time to either listen, you can ignore it and still sit into what you're sitting in, or you can actually get real, be honest, and let's start the process. Love yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. But I just yeah, had yeah. to put a pin in that. Yeah. That was please. so awesome. It's so good. <laughs> and I, I love this for your audience in particular because I think that just as a society, one of the things that we're doing is making a lot of changes. I've you talked about this on a recent podcast about how millennials, you know, stay at their jobs for a, a shorter period of time than some of the previous generations. But that it does not erode a need for generational insight and wisdom, seasoned mm. wisdom, seasoned truth. You can't duplicate that even if we are okay with career switching or work switching. And so mm. it's important to me in particular that my work impacts generations before me because I believe my daughter needs to hear from people who are older, wiser, more seasoned, and more simmer than me. So it's important to me that we don't tell ourselves this narrative that this is brand new and you're just getting started. Absolutely not. I don't yeah. subscribe. You've been seasoning this. You've been simmering this. And now you're ready to serve it. And we all need to sit down. Yes. Like we all need to sit down. And, and that's uncomfortable, right? And yeah. there's space for that. It's space yeah. for that. But it's not new. Mm -hmm. It's not new. And you're not an imposter because you've only been doing this your whole life. So. Yeah. And I just, I, I think that just goes back to what, like I said, it's just like, you get, you know, particularly for women that like in my age range, right. Who are like, you know, mid, late fifties, sixties, you know, even, even maybe late forties, early fifties is that you've been so conditioned around this practicality of what you can do and what's available to you. And it's so limiting. The narrative is so limiting. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, yeah, the, the, I think the fear gets manifested like, oh my God, this is so new and different. But I think it's just this movement against mm -hmm. this narrative that we grew up with and heard so long. And so the idea is like, what does it mean if I now step away from that and do this? Like, yeah. I know I want to do it. I know really secretly I could do it, <laughs> mm -hmm. but what will other people say? What will happen to my community, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and of course the financial stuff that comes in, will I go broke and die? Cause I think right. that's always. Yeah. And instantaneously. <laughs> instantaneously. Instantaneously. Right. Just I'm, instantaneously. I'm, you're going to lose everything. Right. I'm going to go from, uh, and it's funny too. I have to, you know, when I decided to leave um, my corporate job and start my business, my daughter, she was much younger. Um, she probably was in maybe in middle school at the time. And her first question went to, to me was, are we going to be poor? Like, what's like, what do you, what? Mom, I have standards now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. <laughs> what is happening to me? By you? But, but it's so interesting to me that even at her age, she's yeah. so conditioned to believe that like a job equals either wealth or stability or security, which is such bullshit. And we've seen yeah. that with the pandemic and on and on and on. I mean, come yeah. on, but we're still conditioned to think that way. And yeah. um, so I love this, just this conversation. And I, so I do think that fear comes in, but this, this thing at midlife, this like really crazy, but 
real yes narrative that holds us captive to just let that go and to be free to just start embracing and valuing and uplifting who we are is such a powerful shift yeah it is it is new like I think one of the pieces that is new is this idea that it could be okay for you Mm. to be disruptive like that's new but you're not new. Like it's new for there to be a window of opportunity for you to just do something because you like it and make money from it. Like that might be new or it might be new mm. that like, you know, Great there's space for you. Like yeah. that's that's totally like historically it is new. Yeah. And like, but let's not be a, let's not, let's not self-identify with the fear as though it's us that we should be afraid of. no. We just don't have a long history of like people being accepted for exactly who they are. There's just not a long track record of that. Yes. Yes. So you don't have like a lot of currency in that department, but in terms of you just being authentic and epic, yeah, like you've been doing it. Yeah. Great distinction. Great distinction. Yeah. Okay. So, but you did ask me about the types and how they may like some of the uniqueness that they may be um, experiencing. So with manifestors, one of the core challenges is like we experience ourselves as impactful but we don't always necessarily know where that impact comes from. And there can often be wounds about, am I too impactful? Am I hurting people? Am I, am I an imposition? So when I think about a manifester going through this change where they have something to say, most likely they've already tried saying something and had a negative experience with it and have decided not to say things. They have kind of what we call them like throat wounds. Like they have they have, they stifle a lot of what they know that they want to do or know that they want to offer. And then also um, amongst the types, there's a difference between how energy works in terms of keeping up, like being able to do a normal workday. So often manifestors are burnt out. They're tired because they lack one of the more significant parts of a chart that generates energy. So oftentimes their shift looks like slowing down and speaking up. And that mix is incredibly vulnerable because now you're a sitting duck that's very loud. It's not, it's like counterintuitive. They used to outrace it. Like may, I know quite a few manifestors who are outspoken, but they keep moving. They are like, listen, I'm on the run. Like I, I told that boss off and then I got another job. And they're like proud of the fact that they land these kind of truth bombs or, or catalytic moments, if you will. And they're also proud that they didn't stick around to see what happens. So for them- you know, what do you do when you're looking at your horizon? You're like, I can't keep running. You know, how am I going to show up authentically if I can't keep going? Like the trajectory, the opportunities, like this needs to be something I want to stick with, but sticking with it when you've been afraid of your impact can be challenging to, ne- to negotiate. Um, I would say for projectors um, in that transition time where you're kind of being caught up, at some point you've been recognized for your different skill sets or your different expertise, because that that's the nature of the projector energy. They, they kind of master a system or they master a process and now they have a level of expertise at it. What I notice when I talk to projectors who um, are in midlife, one of the things that they talk about is redefining success. Is it okay that success for me is not this money metric? It's no longer this career goal. Every type has a signature that that lets them know that they're in alignment. And for projectors, that signature moment or experience is success. But when people read that, they impose 
cultural definitions of success or societal definitions of success. And that's not what it is. It is an experience of I am successful as I am doing what I do, knowing and guiding the way I guide. And it's up to each individual projector to kind of create their own expression of success. And if you haven't done that, for years, you've allowed society or your family or your relationships to define success for you, it can feel um, unfamiliar. It can feel unfamiliar to feel like, I know this is what I want. This feels like a win for me. And yet it doesn't seem like it will be a win for anyone else. How, mm. how, do I, how do I show them that I can do this in a way that benefits other people? Because that's ultimately what a projector is here to do. They're here to guide. The last thing they want is to be considered unuseful or unhelpful. And so if you've been using your expertise that way and really seeing people and now you want to do something and you can't see a clear path for how everybody's going to win, it could be challenging to, to feel like it's worth it, to feel like mm. it will be a success if you just do it. Mm. Um, and then generators, and I'll put generators and manifesting generators together in this case, because orically speaking, they are both responsive energies. That just means energy wise, their primary way of making decisions and processing energy is this kind of open and they're always responding to what's coming at them. And so when I think about a generator type in midlife, I'm thinking about what was the impetus for your change and what narratives do you have around that impetus? Was it a good enough reason for you to change your, your career path or to change mm. your life? You know, what moral, you know, um, associations was you not liking your boss? Is that a justifiable reason to just switch everything? Like what needed to be the thing that was worthy enough to justify you just doing what you want to do because you want to do it. And if you've lived being responsive and particularly if you've lived during times where we had very clear cut definitions for what success was and how everybody likes everybody. And now you want to do something that seems to kind of like be on the fringe of that or, or even completely different from that. You know, your impetus might be something like, you know, I was walking outside and it just hit me. Well, try posting that on Twitter. Like nobody, that's not a respectable reason. People right. are like, that's not, right. that's right. not, right. I just got this download. And so I'm going to just shut down my whole practice. And I don't mm -hmm. know how I'm going to make, you know, that's kind of like eat, pray, love stuff. That's not like real life. Right. You worked hard for this kind of moment. So when I think about a generator and that, you know, likely they have had moments like that where they knew they should have said no, but they said yes anyways. Mm -hmm. And so now they're being offered something again, and now the packaging may not be as respectable as the last package. Mm. You know, it may not be offered to them in a way that seems like a worthy thing to say yes to, but the request is often the same. Will you be you? Wow. So. Wow. And then the last one is reflectors. And when I think about a reflector in midlife, I think... I think that if you have lived your life without a kind of fixed way of being and you're kind of sampling and just kind of trying on other people's energy, so to speak, because you, as a reflector, like I said, you, you have a lot of what we would call openness in your chart. I would imagine by the time you've got to midlife, you have gone around in circles about the thing that you want to do. And the you will have to now live with why you want to do it, right? Because as a reflector, the strategy is to wait 
28 days, I believe it is to make a decision or a lunar cycle to, to really come to clarity about something. And so if you've gotten to midlife now and you're ready to make a decision, most likely the thing that you're deciding is not different, but what is different about it is just, is this, is this a good enough reason? And, and do I like the way I'm going to execute this? Is this going to impact how will other people, what will they think? I think about them if I'm doing this. We call reflectors like the judges. They can they can make you feel like, man, they're siding with me, but they also can make you feel like they they think I'm wrong. Like they think I'm doing it wrong. They think I'm fundamentally messing it up in some significant way. And so if that's not what you want to create, it could be hard for you to make a, a, a strong shift. It could look, it, I, when I think about an example of that practically, I think about like, how would a reflector explain to her mother if she were like a second generation in the same industry, like second generation physician, how might a reflector daughter explain to her mother that I never wanted to be a physician? I was doing it because I thought I needed to, or I thought, it, you know, it's time for me to do this now. You know, that the fear might be, well, what will she think that I think about her? Yeah. And, you know, what is the relational impact if I make a, a strong shift? So that's kind of like a, a high level assessment of how that, you know, change might affect you and some of the oh. concerns that may come up. That was so awesome. So insightful, you know, because mm -hmm. you see that, I mean, transitions are, are challenging mentally, you know, for, for people, because anytime you go from something that's familiar to something that's, that feels unfamiliar, even though it actually is familiar, honestly, like you say, if you'd really tell the truth about it, but it feels like you're making this leap into a new realm and way of being that it could really challenge your uh, way of thinking and, and how you want to be perceived and, you know, how you think people are going to perceive you and on and on and on and on and on. So I love this conversation about looking just deeply in terms of what could take place, what could happen, you know, how you may be thinking, what would be some important questions to ask yourself, you know, as you're going through this process. So beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So I do have just one question for you because um, we, this honestly, we could go on and on for hours with this, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> you know, because it's so good. So, you know, one of the things I always ask people is what does the idea of being a career rebel mean to you, right? And maybe this is from either a manifesting, you know, manifesto perspective or a human design perspective, or just generally your thoughts, you know, what does it mean for you to be a career rebel? Hmm. But I think I you've thought... been one. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, good to know. So I, then go with my definition. My definition <laughs> is, I think being a career rebel means having the audacity to create an entrepreneurial mindset, no matter where you are. It, mm. it means to decide that your value or that what you bring your authenticity has value. And sometimes mm. you offer that to a company. Sometimes you offer that to your children. Sometimes you offer that, you know, to wherever you find yourself. But in this context, in particular, sometimes you offer it in the, in the current profession that you have or whatever. But really, it's having a sense of ownership, a, a, a grittiness about this is worth something. And we will either agree on what it's worth here or I'll be going to make sure it it's planted in places that have a value for it. And mm. sometimes that's the same career, same position. Sometimes it's not. And I think that's what it means. 
I love that. I love it. I love it. So listen, Taylor, I, what's next for you or, or um, where can people find you? You know, we're definitely going to have all the links in the show notes so people can, you know, locate you, but is there anything that, um, that people can really utilize that would be helpful for them in this process um, that you would love to refer them to? Sure. So I have created a free course um, called Human Design in Under an Hour. I found that I really craved a resource that was really short and sweet and to the point and less about the granular and more about give me a high level understanding of what's happening in a chart or in the system. And so if you want to take that free course, like I said, it's under an hour and it comes with guides and everything to break it all down for you. Um, you can go to humandesignplay.com and join the wait list and then we'll send it out as soon as it's live. But that is my my passion project because I think this is such a great tool and I love using it to help people craft offers. And so that's what we do. I love it. I love it. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been so enlightening and um, such a beautiful and powerful conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right, Rebels. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned for some other amazing conversations that we'll have to keep you informed, to enlighten you, to keep you curious and open to what can come when you're in the middle of a midlife career rebel and a midlife career change. And in the interim, however, have an amazingly rebellious week and I'll see you soon. Hey, if you're loving what you're learning on the podcast, then you've got to come check out the Career Rebel Academy. It's where you'll get the individual help and support you need applying the concepts and strategies you're learning here and so much more. You'll be joined by a community of other rebels just like you, and I'll be there as your guide every step of the way. If you're genuinely looking to change the course of your life and career, I promise you, this is the place you'll want to be. Just go to www.carolparkerwalsh.com forward slash career dash rebel dash academy. I can't wait to see you there.